This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for April 23, 2023. The title of the message is Saved to Lead. We continue in our evening uh, series through uh, the pastoral epistles. If you'd open your Bibles with me to uh, Paul's epistle to Titus. Chapter 1. Last week we um, looked at the first four verses, and tonight we'll be looking at the next, um, uh, the next several verses from verses 5 to 9 as we look at, um, at the qualification of elders. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this evening. Uh, in, In the Old Testament, Jeremiah, after Uh, God brings judgment to the people of Israel, he promises, he gives them a vision of of restoration and renewal, a a gospel vision of what is to come in the future. And he promises to save for himself a remnant. Uh, In the Old Testament, it's a remnant of Israel who will return. Uh, But uh, even more than that, a remnant of Israel who be saved uh, all to the ends of the earth. And when he does that, the Lord says, this in, Gen- in Jeremiah 3.15, he says, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Part of the gospel promises in the Old Testament is that uh, when shepherds of Israel were uh, acted like hirelings, when they acted not in the best interest of the sheep, when they didn't represent the Lord and they were corrupt and sinful uh, and oppressed the people of God, uh, what a wonderful promise of the gospel that he would send a shepherd, shepherds, a plural, after his own heart, who will be true to his goodness, his grace, and his glory. And we see, we see that fulfilled in the fullness of time when God sent the one true shepherd, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who is a shepherd after God's own heart, just like David, but even more so, you might even say the very heart incarnate, the heart of God incarnate in the Son, uh, the giving of his one and only Son, uh, the shepherd of Israel, the, sh- the, the great shepherd of the sheep who would come and, and, uh, and feed us with the knowledge and understanding of the gospel and of salvation in him. And so, so that, that, that first fulfillment 
happen in, in the coming of Christ. But then there's even more to it. I mean, you love, I, I love it when God's gospel promises go on and on and on. It's almost like, it's like those Russian dolls, you know, you just open them up and they just, they're just, you just can open them and they're still there. Just, you know, and, uh, and it's, so it's a promise within a promise within a promise. And, and, and the way that that it unfolds uh, in this New Testament era, is that he has, he gives us shepherds, plural, right? That's what it says in, in Jeremiah 3.15. I will give you shepherds, plural, after my own heart. And who are they? The under shepherds of the great shepherd um, who will feed his people with knowledge and understanding. And so, so we see that in, in, in the under shepherds in the New Testament church and under the new covenant. And so um, the Lord continues his promises to God's remnant people by giving them under shepherds after his own heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who have God's own heart for his people. Uh, And so Paul now comes, Paul here writes this letter to Titus, instructing him uh, what to do as he pastors churches that Paul has already planted, kind of reordering them, uh, helping to kind of put the finishing touches uh, so that it would then be established and be able to mature and be a self-sustaining, uh, uh, self-multiplying uh, church of the Lord Jesus Christ wherever they were planted. And so Paul then tells Titus to appoint elders in every town in those churches. And in doing that, he gives Titus a list of qualifications for these under-shepherds, these elders, these overseers after God's own heart. And so tonight I, wanna, I want us to look at these qualifications for what elders ought to be and as examples of what every believer ought to be. Uh, what I want to just say at the, at the offset is, you know, normally I think I've mentioned this before, we, you know, elders and pastors... Uh, are are not super Christians. They're not a separate set of Christians, as if they're, you know, they're they have all of these these qualifications that normal Christians don't have. Uh, we we are all one people in Christ. We all have we all we all have access to the Lord. We all receive the same grace. The question is are is gifts and maturity that that set these brothers apart to shepherd the people of God. But, but all of these qualifications are Christian qualifications. Right? These ought to, to describe and characterize all the people of God. And so as you listen, don't, don't be like, oh, the, you know, oh, you know it, the, I'm glad that we have elders who are holy, but you know, me, I don't have to be, right? That's not, that's not what this passage is teaching us. It's, is that all of these characteristics and qualifications of an elder um, uh, for sure ought to to describe elders, but it ought to describe to some extent all of us. And so let's let's hear God's word that way. So what are these qualifications, right? What are these qualifications uh, for um, elders? Um, As we saw um, first, We see the qualifications of a godly life in marriage and family. As we saw in in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, which which I went through uh, a few months ago, 
Uh, elders shepherd the people of God. Uh, they exercise gospel rule and keep biblical order and structure in New Testament churches. Right? This is why Paul tells Titus to put what remained into order. Right? Maybe Paul had planted the church and had to leave before elders were appointed. And so there's kind of an unfinished work in those churches right? to, to kind of establish the structure so that churches can put down roots and, and, and build that strong foundation. Uh, not only on the apostolic teaching, but the apostolic governance, right? Because the Bible is sufficient. And let me just add this. The Bible is sufficient for um, faith and and life, uh, even to the ordering and governance of of the church of Jesus Christ. And um, and so we we believe that the Bible does teach a Presbyterian form of government. Um, And so Paul is telling him to... Uh, appoint elders uh, in those churches to remain what had uh, to put what remained in order, and uh, and we see that the ministry of a godly um, of a godly man to order a godly church requires a, a godly life. And so, what are these characteristics of a godly life that that Paul? Uh, uh, gives us qualifications for these these uh, elders. Well, he must be first. A, look at verse six a, uh, the beginning of verse six. He must be a man of godly reputation, so no one can accuse him of wrongdoing or sin. Right? Look at verse six. If anyone is above reproach, right? Another way to put that is blameless, right? Um, uh, he is impeccable in, in some ways, that no one can, can blame him uh, for, for wrongdoing, that he has a good reputation inside and outside the church of Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that he has to be perfect, but he can't be open to charges of hypocrisy or, or injustice. Uh, he can't be two-faced. He can't be one way inside the church and one way outside the church. He has to be consistent, uh, and, and he has to be a man of integrity, that who he is in the church is who he is outside the church. And, and so I think you know uh, that's what, what that idea of he must be, if anyone is above reproach. This is the foundational characteristic, and then everything else is being laid on top of it. And... Um, so he has to exemplify all the core Christian virtues, right? Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And they need to be manifested in this idea of being above reproach. Right? He has to be seen by those uh, uh, with good reputation. Not only must he have that good reputation of being above reproach, but he must also be a godly husband of one wife. Um, the second part of verse, uh, verse six. He must be faithful to his one bride, just as Christ is faithful to his one bride. Do you see that the parallels there? I mean, how can, how can you steward the bride of Christ if, if, uh, if your elder is committing adultery? And so he must not be an adulterer or philanderer, but honor his vow to love his wife exclusively. His monogamous, heterosexual marriage must also be above reproach. No one should be able to question his marital fidelity. If he's, and if he's single, 
He has to be a man uh, that we can confidently say will be an excellent husband to one wife, right? Uh, Where the trajectory of his life is characterized in such a way that that we, we can say with relative confidence that he'll be a good husband to one wife, right? He's, uh, uh, he's not out, um, you know, uh, dating several girls at the same time. He's a one-woman one man before and a one-woman man after he gets married. If an elder can't be faithful to his bride, then he cannot be faithful to Christ and his bride. Uh, thirdly, he must also be a godly father to his children, not just a, a, a godly husband to a wife, but a father to his children. Look at what he goes on to say, and his children are believers. Now, let me just say this. There are two ways to understand the, the, the word here, believers, right? The idea uh, in the Greek is, um, is pistos and you know, there, there's shades of meaning, and one of them is believers, right? They, 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 are, they have faith, and so the connotation there is that they are Christians. Uh, but the other way to think about it is they're faithful, that they're obedient, uh, where it, it's not necessarily describing their, their status as Christians, right? That they have faith in Christ. That could be included, but it doesn't have to be. And I tend towards this, this second um, shade of meaning because of the contrast that Paul uses here. Look at what he says, right? He says, and his children are believers um, and not open. Look at what he contrasts that with. And not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. You see, if it, I feel like the, 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 the context tends towards uh, faithfulness and obedience because the contrast is insubordination and debauchery, right? If it, if it was more towards they have to be believers, they have to put their faith, then, then the contrast more aptly would be or they are, um, or they become unbelievers, right? If they believe they're believers and not open to unbelief. And so I tend towards the idea of, obe- of obedience and faithfulness to the parent. Uh, and and uh, the parallel in 1 Timothy 3 kind of brings that out uh, to be more the case, right? He says uh, in 1 Timothy f- uh, 3, he says he has, he must, he's talking about um, the parallel uh, description of, of, of the qualification of elder. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, that they are submissive to his authority and to his leadership. And so the point that I want to say here is that, 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 that um, I think it, another reason why I don't think it means uh, believing as in they're converted is that I think only God can save our covenant children. Only God can save our covenant children. Yes, it's important for our children to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the gospel. Uh, but at the same time, you can be the godliest man, have the godliest marriage, have the godliest home, but that doesn't guarantee that our children will be converted. I mean, you know, just look at all the patriarchs. You know, there's, there's uh, 
you know, they, they could, they were raised, they knew um, the ways of God, uh, and yet they turned away from it. Uh, but only God can save. And so, so even if you raised your children in the most grace-filled, gospel-centered life and family, it does no guarantee that they're going to be saved. Um, but we trust the Lord and we raise them as we ought, but it's God who makes them born again. And yes, we can plant, someone else can water, but ultimately it's God who gives the increase, not only for, for, for conversions, wherever, but even in our own families. And um, now, now that doesn't mean that we, we don't raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as if it doesn't matter. But, um, but what it means is, is that if our children come to faith, we ought to praise the Lord. But if our children don't come to faith, uh, that's, that's up to the Lord. And it, I don't think it disqualifies, uh, I don't think it disqualifies necessarily a godly pastor or a godly prospective pastor. Um, it could, and that depends, you know, case by case, but not necessarily. And, um, and then, you know, again, it goes back to the parallel that Paul gives in, in 1 Timothy. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? It's a, it's a matter of, of managing the household well as an indicator, you know, as testing ground, proving ground for managing the household of God. And so this reminds us then that the church is a family of God and God calls all the men of our church to be good shepherds to their families. And this qualification reminds us that it's, it works in two ways as well. A well-ordered church family filled with godly elders encourages all the other fathers to be godly shepherds to their, to their children and to their husband, to their wives, excuse me. And so how elders shepherd uh, in the church with the gospel points us then how we ought to shepherd our families in the gospel with gentleness and compassion, with love and care, firm when we need to be, but loving uh, and, and, uh, and filled with grace, uh, knowing that um, our children and our, our families, uh, we're all sinners, and so um, I think it's, it's also a remedy against being, being harsh as husbands, being harsh to our wives, being harsh to our children. Um, you know, it's one thing to, to, uh, to discipline our children, but it's another thing to be overly harsh to where they resent us. And I think there's a reason why Paul says, you know, don't provoke your children to anger. It's when we're too harsh with our children um, in a way that uh, is not filled with grace, without understanding and compassion for our children, that our children will uh, resent and they'll, they'll grow angry at us. And, um, and so it's, very, it's important for us to, to uh, manifest and exemplify that grace-centered, gospel-filled love that disciplines and to teach and to model that as as elders and shepherds 
to, to the people of God. And then, then we take that as fathers and as parents and then model that then to our children. Um, to woo them. Uh, to, to, to woo them with the love of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God to obedience rather than, you know, um, like, a, like a master to a slave. Um, and, uh, and Paul, I think the Lord uh, uh, sums it up so well when he says this in Matthew 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, so even when, when Paul talks about uh, how uh, elders ought to shepherd their, their families, it's, it's a lesson to all of us how we ought to shepherd our, our own families. Uh, we also see the qualifications of a godly life demonstrated uh, not only in marriage and family, but in character and conduct. Paul gives us three qualities that describe a godly shepherd here. First, he must be a godly steward of God's gifts as he shepherds or in preparation for shepherding. He has to be aware of what he does as an overseer from which we get the, uh, the word bishop. Right? And it's just, it's just a functional description of what an elder does. Um, that uh, he oversees and he protects God's people. Uh, and he understands that he is God's steward. And he is called by God and given responsibility by God to steward and to care for what belongs to God. Right? They belong, that, that everything that, that the overseer is a steward of belongs to God, not to him. And so they have to conduct themselves as under God's authority, working uh, responsibly uh, only to him. No, no, notice here, notice here that it, it says for an overseer as God's steward. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the church's steward. It doesn't say uh, uh, the, the um, it doesn't say the rich and powerful steward, the people stewards, um, beholden. It doesn't say the trustees stewards. It doesn't say the stewards of uh, the steward of the most powerful person in the church, the richest person in the church. It says God's steward. That's who we we are accountable to as ministers. And so, if a rich member of the church uh, complains. Uh, that since he gives the most money, it means he should have the most um, say, right? And what, what we can say based on what, what Paul says here is, uh-uh, I don't work for you. I'm not your steward. I, 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 I'm, a God, I'm God's steward of the grace of God and the ministry of the gospel. We work for God, not for you. Uh, and you know, and, so, and I think this is important for, for folks to understand that um, sometimes, you know, you know, you know, sinful though we are, we feel like the more we put into a, a, the work of the church, the more we give, the more time we, we give, the more uh, work we put into the life of the church, we feel like we're entitled to have the most say. 
And so people work for us and uh, ministers work for us. I mean, I think, you know, many a minister uh, has, has um, been kicked out of a church or, you know, uh, felt like to get out of ministry because they, because an elder or a group of people or a party um, felt like it was their church and the minister was intruding on their territory. Um, but we are God's steward and we have to have a clear conscience and a Christian liberty to, 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 um, to minister under the authority of God. Let's move on. The second uh, aspect is that he must also possess a godly character averse to sin. Um, a, a godly character not filled with, with vices. Uh, look at verse 7. He must not be arrogant or puffed up with pride and self-conceit. And this is really important because it goes against everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus is. This is what we've been looking at the past several weeks from Philippians 2, that Jesus humbled himself and made himself nothing in order to serve and to save us, that he wasn't arrogant but humble. He wasn't prideful but gentle and lowly. And so if the great shepherd of the sheep is humble, not arrogant, then so must his shepherds. That we must be humble, not arrogant, if we are going to participate and be agents of God's grace uh, through which God is conforming his people into the very humble image of the Lord Jesus Christ. What, uh, what an incongruency would be if pastors and elders were arrogant and expecting the people of God to be humble. No, it has to... It has to come through the life and ministry of the under-shepherds. That if we're humble, because we want to be, we are being conformed into the image of Christ, uh, then uh, the people will see that and, it, and, and they will see that as, as God's grace working in us, for which then they too um, ought to become more and more humble. Um, the the uh, the under shepherd must also be even tempered and not quick to anger. Again, this points us to the gentleness and lowliness of Christ, but it also points us to the loving patience and mercy of God our Father, who in in Deuteronomy uh, thirty two says that uh, He was gracious and what slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Is He being being quick tempered, being quick to anger? goes against the righteousness that God calls us to in the gospel. James says it's a sign of unrighteousness in a person's heart. He says this in James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brother, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Underneath a quick temper is a pride that blows up at any and all perceived wrongs. It's a pride that makes us oversensitive to get angry at the smallest little thing because we don't get our way or someone challenged our place and hurt our pride. Um, uh, what's interesting is um, Paul uses a word in, in 1 Corinthians uh, to describe this idea of pride. And it's, it's, it has the idea of being bloated, 
You know, if you've ever had, I really apologize for using this illustration, but if you've ever had really bad gas and it hurts to the touch, it's bloated. And it's the same word that Paul uses for pride. And we get angry because someone touches us in those areas in which we're bloated and it hurts and we fight back. And so what's the remedy? Remedy? Get deflated. <laughs> Humble yourself. Become more and more like Jesus. Uh, not counting, uh, counting others more significant than yourself. And to have the interest of others more than yourself. Right? And, uh, and so, it is, so the gospel really is kind of like that pinprick uh, that just deflates our pride. And, um, and then when somebody presses in, you know, they kind of step on our toes or whatever, they poke us, it doesn't hurt. We're not going to fight back. And so we'll be slow to anger. Uh, we'll be more even-tempered. And this is important because pride makes us oversensitive to get angry at the smallest thing. And so it's a disaster, friends, for an elder to be quick-tempered and to do ministry with other elders and pastors, to have a good, a good grace-filled difference of opinion and debate. Because if you can't debate and, and, and uh, have differences with your fellow elders, um, every meeting is going to become a war. And there's no peace in the church. And churches divide over things like that. And they fold and they implode and they close. Um, and so it's so important for elders, shepherds, to not be quick-tempered, but to be humble. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a soft answer turns away wrath because, you know, we're not bloated in our pride. And he must also not be a drunkard, violent, or greedy for gain. And, and, um, and I've talked about these uh, in... Uh, when I talked about it in First Timothy, and so I feel like I'm um, coming near the end here. But um, uh, on the other side of of the coin, we see the characteristics of godliness that that uh, he has to be hospitable. Why? Um, because the gospel is a gospel of hospitality. I really like Rosaria Butterfield's title of her, one of her most recent books, maybe a couple years ago, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, because God saves us and invites us into his home, right? Like when Jesus was, going to, was preparing to go to heaven, he says, uh, um, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. But in my father's mansion, there are many rooms, right? That's, it, the, Christ, the Christian gospel is a gospel of hospitality that overcomes our sin and alienation where strangers become sons and daughters of the living God. That we who are without God and without hope in the world, strangers to the covenant of, 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 of God, uh, we are now reconciled and we are brought into the very family of God. What is that? That's Christian hospitality. And so the elders ought to model that for the people of God. Because when we invite, what do we do when we invite sinners to come to church? We're inviting them into our home, into our family so that they could hear the gospel uh, and be a part of our community through faith in Christ. 
Um, and they have to be lovers of, of good, right? Because God is good. In him, there's no dark. God is light, and in him, there's no darkness of, at all. We have to love what God loves. We have to hate what God hates. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, the greatest good is God, and therefore we have to love him. And then to be self-controlled. Um, we ought to be disciplined. Um, you know, uh, much of the Christian life is, a, is, is exercising self-control. Uh, not be given over to our passions and emotions. Um, to, to, um, uh, to be able to say no. Uh, to be able to do everything in moderation. And, and then uh, to be upright, holy, and disciplined. And I think together they, um, they characterize a life of, of sanctification. Uh, upright, I, I really like that idea of, of up being upright because it's a structural, it's a word that describes a structural uh, uh, character. They're upright, not just uh, in, 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 in how they stand, but in their moral quality. We're not hunched over, we're not crooked. We're not twisted. We're upright, and to be holy. Uh, now, this now this doesn't mean that we have to be uh, uh, perfectly holy, but because of the gospel, we are sanctified in Christ, positionally holy. We've been separated from our sin once and for all, and then now we are being sanctified more and more into the likeness of Christ. And so we ought to love holiness. We ought to hate sin. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be holy just as he is holy, to be perfect as he is perfect, not in this life, but we want to work towards it uh, and look forward to the day when God will bring it all to completion at the day of Christ. And when we either die or when the Lord returns, we will be perfectly holy. But that's what we ought to want to have and to want to do. And that's what we ought to um, expect of our elders, to be holy. Not perfect, but to be holy. And then to be disciplined uh, in their Christian life. Uh, let, me, let me end here. Uh, I want to dedicate next week to verse 9, and I wish I had more time to do that. This, this is so rich here. Um, and I want to talk about next week what that means for elders, right? He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction, sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. But let me just give you three things to pray for, and we can end here. First, I want to commend these qualifications for all of you. These qualifications don't represent a separate set of characteristics for elders and then different one for, for Christians. It's just a matter of maturity and of growth. And so we all ought to want to, to have these characteristics describe us more and more each day. Uh, and, um, and then elders, again, uh, we're not super Christians. We're just more, I guess... We're not, we haven't arrived, but we, we're maybe a little bit further along in our maturity, enough to be able to minister to God's people. Um, and that also then brings us to the second prayer. Would you continue to pray for your elders, to pray for me, that all of these characteristics, we, that we would continue to grow in each and every one of them. It, wouldn't, it, won't just describe, it won't just describe us 
as a snapshot in time, and then we become elders, and now we don't have to worry about these characteristics anymore. But they would continue to describe us, characterize us, and we would grow in all of them. Uh, and then thirdly, oh, thirdly, I want to commend you to pray for, for um, oh, well, let me commend all of our elders. I'm very thankful that the Lord has gifted us as a church with godly elders. As I read through these, these, this description, I think, oh, you know, um, our elders are, this describes our elders. Not perfectly, right? Because I'm not perfect either. It doesn't describe me perfectly. But enough to where we can praise the Lord that we have elders, shepherds after God's own heart, feeding us with knowledge and insight uh, of the gospel and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, continue to pray for us and, and pray for future elders. Uh, pray for, for God to raise up elders um, characterized by these, this passage. And, uh, and we would ordain more and, uh, and so that they might serve you uh, better. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for shepherds after your own heart. Thank you for the elders that we have and the elders that you will raise up in the future. Lord, we thank you that these describe not only elders, but it would. we pray that it would one day describe us more and more, uh, if not already. Bless us, O oh Lord, all of these things, Lord, as you Conform us all then into the image of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.